One of the interesting tasks that it's possible to give to children when they visit St. Stephen Walbrook is to ask them to find the fire engine in the church. I wonder if you would be able to find it yourself. I'll give you a clue as it can be found on the memorial to George Griffin Stone Street who died in 1802. Stone Street was the managing director or secretary of the Phoenix and Pelican companies whose London headquarters were at 70B Lombard Street and whose memorial was erected here by proprietors of those two offices. Uh, his white marble monument is centered on a worn high relief figure of a young fair woman leaning on a pot holding a scroll in her free hand. The pelican feeding her young is carved on the plinth above. A tiny fire engine is bottom right, ships and parcels to the left, and above all is a pot with winged cherub head handles, wreaths of flowers, and at its top a phoenix, thus covering both institutions. And the monument was signed by the highly accomplished sculptor John Bacon Jr. and dated 1803. The company that Stone Street directed was established as the Phoenix Fire Office in 1782 by London sugar refiners who were discontented with the rates of premium charged by the established fire insurance offices. By 1783, it had 58 agencies and the early success of the company meant that by 1790, it was able to establish minimum rates for ensuring London riverside wharves and warehouses against fire. From 1782, the company started to insure overseas properties belonging to English merchants, and agents were then appointed in France, Germany, and Portugal, and later in New York and Montreal. The Phoenix's survival and growth depended upon the energy and intelligence of its senior management, and notable in this respect were George Griffin Stone Street, who was secretary from 1786 to 1802, and his successor, Jenkin Jones, secretary from 1802 to 1837. Under their guidance, the Phoenix weathered the depression in the insurance industry in the late 18th century and early decades of the 19th century. And by 1815, the Phoenix had overtaken the Sun, um, a, a substantial insurance company, uh, at that point in premium insurance. That period also saw the Phoenix establish the Pelican Life Insurance in 1797, acquire several large provincial operations, set up agencies across Britain, and most importantly, penetrate the European market from the Baltic Sea to the Iberian Peninsula. Simultaneously, the Phoenix established itself in Canada, in Montreal in 1804. Uh, although the War of 1812 and the burning of Washington DC by British troops put an end to its first operation in the United States. These early foreign ventures were indicative of the Phoenix's foremost place in the overseas expansion of British insurance companies. 
1797, trustees of Phoenix Insurance established the Pelican Life Office and the firm became Pelican Life Assurance Company before merging with British Empire Mutual Life Assurance in 1903 to become the Pelican and British Empire Life Office. Pelican dealt in life assurance annuities and uh, from 1847 group schemes in the UK, North America and overseas. Over time, Pelican acquired the business of Lifestar and Manchester Fire and Life. And by the 1820s, it had agents in France, Sweden, Germany, and North America. By the 1840s, it had invested in the railways and offered short-term loans to docks and canals. Pelican amalgamated with Phoenix Assurance in 1907, and today these companies are part of the Sun Alliance Group. George Griffin Stone Street's business is part of humanity's search for ways to guard against the potentially catastrophic consequences of loss. A theme running throughout the book of Proverbs is that prudence and foresight characterize the wise. And a mark of such wisdom is abstinence and saving. In the house of the wise, it says, are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. The ability to subjugate current desires in favor of future needs is one that the ungodly often lack. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die, we read in Isaiah 22. Consequently, the adjunct to the Christian suspicion of debt is the prudence saving up for necessary purchases. The most dramatic example of God's advocacy of prudential provision was in the prompting of Joseph to store the surplus from seven Egyptian harvests. For, those, for these not only enabled Egypt to survive the ensuing famine, but also preserved the descendants of Abraham. Truly, in that instance, saving saved the people of God. Scripture is adamant that the fulfillment of extended family responsibilities is the Christian's paramount practical religious duty. And this is primarily affected through the earning of daily income. However, there are some circumstances such as one's death where it is hard to envisage how one's dependents could be provided for without the prior accumulation of wealth or insurance against such risks. Although trust in God's provision on a hand-to-mouth basis is possible, even admirable as a single person, the task becomes much more difficult when one has dependents. Indeed, not saving when required by such circumstances could be uh, construed as presuming upon God. Freedom from such concerns is one of the reasons for Paul's commendation of Christian celibacy. While mutual dependence in times of trial among Christians is to be welcomed, it is irresponsible for the spendthrift deliberately to place him or herself in a position of vulnerability. It runs contrary to the teaching in Paul's letters 
that the Christian should work diligently in order to avoid dependence on others and also to be in a position to assist the needy. In numerous areas of Christian experience, God has chosen to act mainly through and in response to the prayerful actions and efforts of his people. Hence, exercising foresight and acting in response does not necessarily betray a lack of trust in providential oversight. Conversely, however, protecting oneself from every contingency through high levels of savings and insurance under the guise of prudence and self-reliance is indistinguishable in practice from resorting to wealth as the ultimate source of one's security. We must therefore examine our hearts before God for the Christian is required not only to hold to doctrines in theory but also to embody them in the way that he or she lives. May it be so for each one of us.